0: Great reminder. Um, when, when we, you know, the the typical approach to proverbs is this self-help book. How can I become uh, more successful in in my in my career, in my family, in my finances, um, and all of this stuff? And and make no mistake, there's a lot of Wisdom in in Proverbs with regards to how we live, but um, the the most important thing as you go as we go through Proverbs is I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see Him in this book. He's the one who fulfills it completely and perfectly, and uh, and we walk in His footsteps. We we we, we cling to Him, and uh, and walk with Him as um, uh, we seek to live out the the truths in this book. So Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 26 to chapter 21, verse 1 is our text this morning. If you're using the Bibles here provided here in to the, you in the church, it's page 932, 932. There's a number of them on the uh, copies on the uh, table there. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 26 to chapter 21, verse 1, page 932. So let's pray first, and then we'll dig into this scripture together. Father, um, help us to see Jesus. Help us as we uh, open this uh, this passage of scripture that talks about uh, a, a king and his rule. I pray that uh, uh, we would not only see principles here that help us, to be good leaders in the responsibilities you've given to us, but more importantly, most importantly, that you will help us to see our need for King Jesus. That as we see the, the, the huge gap between the kind of justice that you call for and uh, what we see in our world, that you will give us a longing for that day when our king will rule in perfection. And we will have true justice and righteousness in your creation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably you've probably heard the saying, uh, "Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely." Right? Some of you know that. You, you've probably said it as I was as I was saying it. Um, uh, there's another way of looking at at this, um, rather than power corrupting us. Uh, it could be said that power merely reveals the corruption that's already within us. Um, so what happens is that you know whatever fears or insecurities, whatever lusts or jealousies are already in our hearts, when we have power, those things get unfettered. Those things uh, get magnified so that we, we, we do as we please. Uh, and uh, one article says it like this. The news abounds with stories of powerful men behaving badly. It's a depressing yet pre- predictable spectacle. Those in positions of power can't help but help themselves to the help. When we have power, we think that we can do whatever we want. And that undermines our integrity. That undermines, uh, the, the way we, we live and the way we walk and, and, and even what, w- what we used to be, uh, seems to change. And that, I think that's why we say that power tends to corrupt. But really what's happening is, is exposing what was already in our hearts. And we just didn't have the chance that we didn't have the opportunity beforehand to, um, to, to do the things that we, we always wanted to do. And so instead of being upright and doing what is right and just, we're tempted to stray from God's path simply because we can and there's nobody to stop us. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 26 to to 31, Solomon reminds those in leadership that the exercise of our power is filled with both responsibility and accountability, and we can't do whatever we please. We can't do whatever we please just because we have the power to do so. Notice the references both to the king and to the Lord in this passage, Proverbs 20, verse 26. A wise king winnows out the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. The glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. Blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. We've seen in Proverbs that one of the roles of the king is to be a judge. He is placed on a throne in order to uphold justice. And Proverbs 20, verse 26 says it like this, A wise king winnows out the wicked, he drives this threshing wheel over them. That is an agricultural imagery. We're not um, terribly familiar with it because most of us never grew up on farms. Some of you may have. Um, I certainly didn't. But, but the, the threshing wheel was this heavy cartwheel, sometimes fitted with sharp iron cutters that cut the sheaves and crushed the husks as it rolled back and forth on the threshing floor. And the chaff would be separated from the from the uh, from the grain in that process, and then uh, that that whole pile would be when it was thrown up in the air because the 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 chaff was lighter, it would be blown away, and so it was this process of separating the the good uh, husk from the from the unwanted chaff. We encountered this imagery earlier in the in the chapter, when uh, verse eight it says, "When when a king sits on his throne to judge, he." winnows out all evil with his eyes. The the wise king doesn't turn a blind eye to to wickedness, but he brings the threshing wheel of justice upon it and judges those who do evil. Now, leaders in other settings, right? There's no one here a king, right? No one's related to the king or anything like that? This is one of the questions I ask people in, in my line of work. All right i say you're not politically exposed are you uh you're not related to someone who's the head of government most of us are kings queens we're not in in those high positions of of um of government and authority um but we are leaders in other settings And, and as leaders in other settings, we aren't necessarily judges in those, in those particular settings. But Solomon's words still apply to many areas of life where we enjoy certain privileges over other people. Good leaders still need to make good judgments. They need to recognize wickedness and take bold action to, to quote unquote clean house at times so so think for example of a university president who who learns of sexual misconduct by one of uh, one of the faculty he can't quietly or he shouldn't quietly dismiss the faculty member and just kind of sweep things under the rug if he's a good leader he ought to address the evil justly so so the various Various circumstances of life, right? Where we have responsibilities of leadership. Or maybe someday you will have um, greater and greater responsibilities of leadership. Where we are called to make good judgments. But we know from history that people in positions of leadership tend to use their power indiscriminately. Tend to use their power abusively. And hence that saying we, we used earlier, right? Power tends to corrupt. We, we know from history that power is not used the way that it ought to be used. Instead of judging the wicked, the powerful call good evil and evil good so that justice is denied to those who are marginalized. It's, it's denied to those who are oppressed. So whatever leadership positions you may have, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, or uh, in, the, in the church, or in the community, whatever those leadership responsibilities are, There's a need to guard against the corrupt use of power. How do we do that? How do we grow in in the leadership responsibilities that God has given to us to use power justly, to not be corrupt in that use of power? How do we become wise leaders? In this message, we're going to look at five principles that equip us to exercise power rightly. We're going to see the value of leading through reflection, of leading in love, of leading by wisdom, leading for goodness, leading with humility. But in the end, as we sang, um, none of us will love, will live up to the standard that uh, God calls us to. And what we see, or I hope we will see, is that we need Jesus, who alone is the perfect king of heaven and earth. All right, five qualities of, of a wise leader. Number one, wise leaders temper their power through reflection. Wise leaders temper their power through reflection. Proverbs 20 verse 27. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. There's some debate on the interpretation of this verse, but I take it to mean that God created us with a spirit that shines light like a lamp on our inmost being. All right. That word breath, uh, spirit is the, is the word that uh, is used in uh, Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Where God breathes his, the, the breath of life. He breathes the, the spirit of life, if you want. He breathes the, the breath of life into, into Adam. The human breath, in Proverbs 27, uh, 20, is the lamp of the Lord. It's that, that's, that same word, that, that idea of, of, um, God's breath. In other words, we are made with self-consciousness. We we have self-awareness, both moral and spiritual. We were created with this ability to look inward, into the deep recesses of our being. We have a conscience. We can reflect on our decisions and our actions. We can examine ourselves. This is the spirit that God created, this, this self-consciousness that, that looks inward. And, and evaluates things. Paul, uh, David Paulson says about the conscience, which could also be true of our self-consciousness, it is our entire evaluative capacity, not only about ourselves, but about, about everything we encounter. He says, is that good or bad? Uh, is, is that true or false? Is that valuable or worthless? We humans don't only know things, but we weigh the things we know. This is our self-consciousness. This is our awareness. This is our ability to, to, to examine. We are meant to love what is true, good, and beautiful, and to hate what is false, wrong, and shameful. This is how God made us. This is how we were designed. We all have the capacity to look inward and to see if our actions and judgments are righteous and just, to discern if we're exercising our power in an upright way. And so, and so the wise leader tempers their power through, through, through reflection. It doesn't just, doesn't just do whatever they want to do, but they, but they look inward. They, they, they have that awareness. Is this right? Is this good? Is this judge? But you know as well as I do that um, our lamp isn't perfect, is it? In fact, we're we're very good at uh, at self deception. We think we 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 know ourselves, but uh, um, the reality is, is we often don't. Someone has said that uh, self-examination speaks a thousand lies. We are introspective. We examine ourselves and, uh, and often what, uh, what we, um, what we find is not the truth, but we are self-deceived. We need God's truth to inform the use of our lamp. God creates you with this lamp, but we need God's truth to inform the use of our lamp. And that leads us to the next point. What is the standard by which we examine our use of power? What's the standard? And so point number two here is that wise leaders base their power in love, verse twenty-eight. Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. In the Bible, love and faithfulness are often attributed to God. So sometimes you'll see love and faithfulness. Sometimes you'll see it translated steadfast love, faithful love, loyal love. Sometimes you'll see it translated as mercy and truth. It, it, it's this aspect of God where where uh, He He makes a covenant, and he keeps it. He keeps his word. He keeps his promise. He says, I will love you with an everlasting love. And he keeps his word. It's everlasting. So this is the steadfast love of the Lord. And 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 God says he abounds in this. Moses comes to God and says, God, who are you? And God replies and he says, I'm the God of steadfast love, God of faithfulness, uh, love and faithfulness, and I abound in it. Just a little bit, but he abounds in it. So the Lord is is this one who, is characterized by love and faithfulness. But the king is also supposed to reflect this kind of love. The Lord is to be our standard of right and wrong. He defines the, the right exercise of power. And and um the king is supposed to look to the Lord for for um for that uh uh that that standard to define his rule leaders are supposed to look to that to define their their leadership if you recall one of the requirements of the old testament king of israel was that he was not to consider himself above others he was not to c- consider himself above others he was not to exalt himself over others another way to put that is that he was to show love and faithfulness in his rule and and in doing so proverbs 20 verse 28 says that he will keep himself safe and he will keep his throne secure usually um, that's taken to mean that if the if the king rules with love and faithfulness then people won't rise up against him and that, that way he keeps himself safe. He keeps his throne secure. So that's the usual way to, to understand that. But I think it, we could also say here that, that love and faithfulness are what guard the integrity of the king's rule. That they uphold how he is supposed to use his power for good, not for his own selfish gain. There's there's a statement in the New Testament that um, shows how Jesus embodied this in his uh, in his incarnation. Uh, it, it's in a passage that talks about it's, that's about giving, and when the Apostle Paul wanted to encourage the Corinthian church to to be generous in their in their financial giving, he um, he reminded them of what, of what Jesus did for them. And he had this line. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And so in this context talking about, about money, Paul uses this this. Description of what Jesus does for us: He who is rich becomes poor for us, so that we who are poor might become rich in Him. And there's a couple of uh, uh, writers who 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 um, who say this about that particular that particular passage of scripture. They, they write this. They say, "Go back and." Re-read those words slowly. What were the riches that Jesus gave up? What were the riches that Jesus gave up? They say this, it wasn't a wealth of money that Jesus released in his incarnation. Jesus didn't give up dollars or cents. What he gave up was a wealth of privilege. Gave up a wealth of privilege. Jesus never ceased to possess every power of the Godhead, yet he chose to release the privilege of using these powers for his own advantage throughout his earthly life and death. And Paul's challenge to the Corinthians was this. With that tremendous example of generosity before you, how can you hold back? If Jesus showed his generosity by releasing his privilege, shouldn't we be willing to do the same for one another? Whether our privileges are economic, educational, cultural, or racial, shouldn't we be willing to leverage what we possess to provide opportunities for others? This is how the king is supposed to rule. Basing his power in love and faithfulness, not for self-advantage, but for the good of others. This is how we're supposed to lead. Wise leaders, number three, guide their power by wisdom. Proverbs 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength, gray hair the splendor of the of the old the point of this verse is not to pit the young against the old uh the the point of this verse is to bring the young and the old together when when you're young you have strength when when you're when you're young you have energy to get things done you want to change the world right When you're young, the world is before you. You see all the possibilities. You see that the potential for things and, and there's, there's in, in, in you this, this vitality, this initiative, this, this, um, this desire to, 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 things, things happen. You have energy. You get up in the morning and, and I know some days you don't want to get up, but there's, but, 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 but you know, your, your bones don't ache. And that's the glory or the beauty of youth. This verse is not denigrating that. This is saying, this is wonderful. Oh, you have energy. You have strength. You have vitality. This is good. Gray right here, on the other hand, it's usually a sign of aging and decreasing strength. But gray hair in the Bible is also symbolic of wisdom. Right? Not everybody who's gray is wise. Um, but But if we walk faithfully with Jesus, we will grow in wisdom, and we will grow old with wisdom. And that's the splendor of old age. That's the splendor of old age. And by bringing the young and, and old together here, Solomon is saying to, is saying to young leaders to draw on the wisdom of those who have gone before you. Draw on the wisdom of those who have gone before you. Don't just rely on your own strength to rule, but lean on the wisdom of those who have walked with God for a lifetime. Lean on them. And at the same time, he's saying, listen, wisdom is more than just this outward resource that you draw upon. It also has to be internalized. Wisdom is something that you need to learn so that in time, the young person becomes one who grows old with wisdom. Because you've internalized that wisdom, because you've learned it, because you've you, you brought it into the, your heart and into your soul. as you As you age, as you grow old, you will grow old with wisdom. One of the things about youthful strength is that uh, it can mask a great deal of inner weaknesses. Uh, But as we grow older and that youthful strength begins to diminish, there's less and less ability There's less and less just physical ability to hide the foolishness in our character. If our character doesn't change, when we're young, we have the physical stamina to mask some of that foolishness. If we don't change as we get older, we will have less and less physical stamina to hide it. And that foolishness become more and more evident in our lives that's why we want to grow in wisdom so that when the glory of youth passes the splendor of old age will shine young person your strength will pass and when that is gone you want the splendor of wisdom to shine forth from your life. Don Carson makes the observation that there are older believers who, as their physical strength is reduced, nevertheless become more and more steadfast and radiant. As their outer being weakens, their inner being runs from strength to strength. That's the kind of person we should desire to be, that we should long to be, that when we're when we're old, we will have that kind of inner strength that is renewed, from day to day, from strength to strength. That's the kind of person we desire to be. But Carson also says and this has struck me for for so many years, this has struck me. He says, there are elderly folk who so far as we can tell are not suffering from any serious organic decay yet as old age weighs down on them, they nevertheless become more and more bitter caustic Demanding, spiteful, and introverted. It's almost as if the civilizing restraints imposed on them by cultural expectations are no longer adequate. In their youth, they had sufficient physical stamina to keep their inner being somewhat capped. Now, with reserves of energy diminishing, what they really are in their inner being is coming out. How tragic. How tragic. Young person, this moment, this time in your life is the time for you to grow in wisdom. In our our use of power, we want to be informed by a growing wisdom within us. Our, Our focus can't be just on how strong we are to get what we want. We need wisdom to do what is right. Fourthly, wise leaders direct their power for good. Why does a wise king winnow out wicked the wicked? Proverbs 20 verse 30 says, blows and wounds scrub away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. And when you first read that verse, it seems really, you know, really negative. Blows and wounds and, and beatings and, um, And yet, when you when you think about this verse, um, it, it is really a a hope-filled uh, verse. Uh, it, it says that that power can be used to drive positive change, to undermine evil, and thus promote what is good we're not talking here about here about abuse right we're, we're talking here about judicial punishment and it's meant to serve a purpose the king's use of power is not meant to be arbitrary it's not meant to be um uh discriminatory it's not to be uh, unjust it's to be guided by a principle by a purpose by a, by a reason and and that purpose that reason is is for for good it, it's not merely punitive but there is a remedial aspect to um to uh, the use of power uh, he says here that judgment and punishment are to scrub away evil the imagery is of is you take a pot and you sco- and you scour it right with your little pad, and it gets nice and shiny and polished up. And that's the imagery of, of, um, of the verse here: that judgment and punishment are meant to scrub away, scour away, that which is evil. That could be applied to society or or a community. The, the exercise of judicial power uh, is designed to promote the common good by creating a disincentive for evil. But the verse is also applicable to us as as individuals. When we experience the consequences of our actions, it can be a catalyst for change. So uh, back in verse 27, we saw how uh, the human spirit is a lamp that sheds light on one's inmost being. So self-examination shines a spotlight on our inmost In most being, and then here we have this added thought that discipline or punishment can be a means for getting our attention and prompting that reflection, self-reflection, and turning us from wicked paths. And so there's a purpose, there's a reason for that exercise of power. And in this regard, the most amazing use of power for good is the cross of Jesus. Christ received blows and wounds and beatings, but it wasn't for anything evil that he had done. He was sinless. He was perfect in in goodness. Nonetheless, he suffered judgment. He did it for us. He, he suffered that, that judgment because of our wickedness. We, we might say that he suffered it to scrub away our evil, to purge our inmost being. When we look at the cross, we see the, the son of God hanging on the tree for us. It ought to move us. It ought to, it ought, it ought to strike us at the very core of our, of our being. But the God of the universe, Would exercise his power by hanging on a cross for us. He would do this because of love. And it, it it should draw us. It should, it should pull us to put our faith. What? Where else in the world? Will you find a God who would do this for you? And it should pull us to, draw us to, to put our faith in 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 this King who loved us so much that He died for us. And if you've never experienced that in your life, but but you know that you're weighed down by the guilt and the shame of 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 life. I mean, it's just, it is just like a a a, a knapsack that's you're filled with rocks on your back and you are weighed down by that. You know that you are. I want you to know you can turn to Christ today. And he will take that guilt. And he will take that shape. And he will lift it off of you. And he will give you purpose and joy. Come, take a load off. Come, place your life into the hands of Jesus. Receive the forgiveness and the cleansing of sin that he has to offer. Wise leaders direct their power for good. We look to Jesus as the one who exemplified that for us. Finally, wise leaders hold their power with, with humility. When it comes to power and authority, we can sometimes focus on who is answerable to us and forget who are we answerable to. And in the ancient world, uh, nations often treated their kings as, uh, as gods, right? So think of the pharaohs. They were just great men. They were gods the Egyptians. Nobody called them to account. Who is someone with almost limitless power accountable to? And Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 reminds us that no matter how high a position you may attain in this life, all of us, all of us are ultimately under the authority of God. No matter how high you get in your company, even if you become the owner of the company, you are accountable to someone higher than you. So Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. In the dry, arid conditions of the, uh, of the Near East, farmers would create channels to redirect the flow of water to, uh, to irrigate their fields. And, uh, in the same way, God sovereignly holds our hearts in his hands and he, and he directs our hearts like a, a channel of water for his good purposes. He is sovereign in all of that. Uh, it, it, and when we say he's sovereign, we don't mean that he is the author of evil. But it, we mean that he is ultimately in, in control of all things. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing falls out of, outside of his plans. Nothing happens without his, his permission. And in the end, he will override all evil to serve his good purposes. And in that light, we need to humbly acknowledge that, God, I'm not the ruler of me. I'm not not the ultimate boss of me. You are. There's no place for, for pride or self-exaltation. We are totally, completely dependent on the sovereign hand of God. No matter how much power or privilege we have in this, in this life, there is no place for pride. There is no place for self-exaltation. But there is place. There is reason, every reason, to be humble. So we turn to the Lord. And this is what we say to him. Lord, you've put me in this position. You've given me this influence. You have granted me this privilege. Lord, you have done this. What do you want me to do with it? God, this is what you... This is the power that you've placed into my hands... How am I supposed to use this under your rule? And so wise leaders hold their power with humility. We've been talking about kingship in this passage and uh, seeing how the principles of, of reflection and love and wisdom and goodness and humility really Really apply to all forms of leadership, right? So, whatever areas God has placed you in, but we still struggle with the concept of kings and kingdoms. Um, it's not something that we're we're used to in in our lives. It's a foreign world to us. And, and yet, one of my prayers is that what this passage has done is highlighted the brokenness of power structures in. Um, in this um, on this planet in our societies we fall short of the glory of God revealed in the just use of power we fall far far short And the truth is we need Jesus we need Jesus Christ, the eternal King, the immortal King who alone embodies perfectly the wisdom and the realities in this scripture. He alone fulfills the promise of a king who uses power with no corruption. And so we wait for King Jesus to return and to rule perfectly in his kingdom. And until he returns, We leave our hearts in his hands and we learn from him to lead justly and to lead righteously in the responsibilities he has has given to us. We want to lead the way he calls us to. We want to lead in hope of that day when King Jesus comes again. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. There are times in our life, Lord, and there are people, perhaps even now, in this congregation, where power is stripped away. Where we have no power. We have no privilege. We have no influence. And for those, I pray, God, that uh, you would surround them and hold them and assure them that you are the righteous and just king who will indeed one day bring to his children the justice that they long for. But there are others of us, others times in our lives when we are, when we have more privilege, more influence, more position, more power than maybe sometimes we even realize. Help us, O oh God, to use all of that rightly. Forgive us for, what, for those too many times when we have used our power and position for self-advantage at the expense of others. and redirect our hearts. Keep transforming our hearts so that we reflect more and more of the love, the humility, the goodness, the wisdom of our King Jesus. We want in in all the places of of influence you've put us in to so reflect you, our king, that others will be drawn to, to bow their knee to you as well. Be glorified in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.